breakfast puppies? This podcast contains adult language and content and is meant for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Good evening. You're listening to The Glitter Boys. So what's that I see over there across the table in front of you, Jacob? Oh, you mean this black hardcover with red embossed cover? Isn't it beautiful? Oh, yes. <laughs> this would be my copy of the original Palladium Fantasy role-playing game. It arrived in the mail yesterday. I only got it out of the mailbox this morning. I haven't even opened it yet. Now open it up and smell it. <laughs> it's a beautiful book glossy pages full everything from the original plus Uh, they added in the nargash tour adventure to the back and they got that two-page art on the inside cover nice paperweight Mm -hmm. i I love the weight of paper yeah feels like a feels like about a 22 pound paper yeah very nice you know and i i will say this it felt a little bit like a betrayal <laughs> buying a hardcover palladium book go oh, I, I see yeah because one of the things i always liked about palladium is they didn't publish in hardcover they published in softcover they do special editions in hardcover and technically you know. this is a special edition and i think the ultimate edition that i have is a hardcover yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it, they've moved more into that field, yeah. and I and I, I I understand why. But for me, part of the charm was the soft cover, the perfect bound, perfect soft bound. Book, yeah, yeah. It, it and that for me is part of what the magic of Palladium was. And while I am very happy to own this, and I will treasure this. Because, honest to God, one of my favorite... I have gone on the record that I'm not a huge fantasy fan. So I don't feel like I'm betraying (laughs) anything there. I'm not a huge fantasy fan. I'm going to say it. I'm going to treasure this. Because it is a certain part of my growing up in the role-playing space that is very important to me. And it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Like you flip open that cover and you look at this beautiful custom art for it of the wolfen staring down the warrior. It's it's amazing in so many ways. Yeah. And plus, it's a hardcover, which shields the contents. <laughs> yeah, nice segue there into our topic of the day, which is shields. Shields in the Palladium combat system. A shield, if you do not know what it is, look it up. You hold it in front of you to block attacks. It's standard fare of a sword and board style fighter. You think fantasy combat, chances are you're thinking about shields in there somewhere. Be it a buckler, a targe, a heater, a round, it's a shield. Shields, unfortunately, in most role-playing games, tend to get the shaft. They are... Poorly implemented at the best of times. And unfortunately, I kind of feel sometimes that Palladium's base implementation of shields is kind of not all that good at 
the base level. So, but it's better. We've talked about the combat system. We've talked about parrying and how that works. So a shield is essentially a weapon that you hold that gives you a bonus to parry. The main difference being that a shield is the only weapon that you hold that takes damage every time you parry. Which kind of sucks because the shield doesn't provide any better parry bonuses than most weapons. So what's the point of a shield? In the Palladium combat system, you may ask? Well, at the base level, the shield allows you to do the simultaneous attack that we talked about in the previous episode. So if you are a character that does not have the paired weapon skill, you can't parry with a weapon while attacking with another. Mm-hmm. You can carry... You Sure, you can carry two weapons in your hands if you want, but the, the weapon in your offhand might as well just be dead weight. Like, you can't do anything with it. So, if you have a shield, though, and you had the proficiency in the shield, then you get a bonus to parry as if it was another weapon, and then when somebody attacks you, you can choose to parry that while also attacking them back with your main weapon. So, that's a good benefit. Yeah, no, and as someone who has actually dabbled a little bit in medieval martial combat, it's palladium. One of the things I always loved about the palladium system is, while still not being quote-unquote realistic, because honest to God, oh my God, as someone who's played Phoenix Command, I don't want to see the realistic melee system. <laughs> they get shields a lot more right than almost any other system. Yeah, the fact that shields in the first edition book are not even listed with their SDC. You have to look online to find that. But and in the fantasy second edition, under the weapon proficiency for shields, they do list the SDC for shields. Personally, I think the idea of shields having SDC is preposterous. Yes, shields break, but so do weapons. But weapons don't have SDC, so <laughs> it, it. I I come at it a little bit of a different angle on that one. I mean, it's yeah. Some shields are going to break more, and generally speaking, I don't want to deal with the record keeping of it, and that's why I just slide it away. But at the same time, if you watched the series The Vikings, if you watched the Thirteenth Warrior, mm-hmm. if you have watched oh other, yeah other movies, Broken Shields is a classic trope. It, yeah. bro- broken Shields are both a classic trope and a tension raiser in combat. Yes, yes, agreed. However, it's a record keeping headache. <laughs> it's a record keeping headache, and your shield is gonna your shield's gonna break after like three hits. I mean, because they have abysmally low SDC. Yes. And AR wasn't a thing. I think one point that I was agreeing with of you, though, is that Palladium implements them better. And I will agree because shields are listed with damage Mm -hmm. that they do. Mm -hmm. Like they are listed as if they are weapons, which they are, whereas D&D never does that. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, as someone who's gotten his bell rung with a, you know, brow shot from a heater (laughs) when you let down your guard shields are no joke the problem with shields in play is when it comes to mechanics if we are following our advice in our previous episode of defending min-maxing if you can take paired weapons take it because it beats a shield 
because there's no reason to take a shield if you can take paired weapons because your weapon is in every way better than a shield. Even though a shield's whole purpose is defending, your weapon's better at defending than a shield. Yep. That is the problem that I have a suggestion on how to solve. Oh, and now I am intrigued. One is a minor suggestion, or some might think it's a minor suggestion. To some, this may sound blasphemous, and that is take away the SDC of the shield. Or another option would be apply SDC to the shield, but apply it to everything in the game, with the caveat that an item only loses SDC when the item specifically is attacked for the purpose of damaging the item. Or potentially roll a... Not that Palladium has critical fumbles, but it would be a great way to implement a critical fumble is the weapon breaks, the shield fails. As As a side tangent... You're right. Palladium does not have critical fumbles. They're not they're not there. A natural one is not a miss in Palladium. It's just a natural one. Yep. I that's something I discovered yesterday. <laughs> oh. I never knew that. Like because, you know, I was taught how to play Palladium by somebody who learned and learned and learned and learned and so on down the line from Kevin or Eric, I forget. Mm-hmm. Uh so knowing how to make the basic attack rolls you just assume one is a natural hit because that's what it is in that other game or natural miss sorry yeah yes and no but yeah (laughs) what's funny though is that in first edition palladium fantasy Mm -hmm. critical hit is not defined Mm -hmm. the critical rule there's there's a list somewhere uh in the uh oh i'm just looking at it right here in (laughs) in the on page 22 for the combat reference key, there's there's critical strikes, and it shows how they work when your your uh, hand-to-hand skill gives it to you, mm-hmm. such as a, uh, a thief gets a critical strike from behind at level 4, or uh, a mercenary gets a critical strike range of 19 to 20 at level 7. Mm-hmm. But there's no rule anywhere in the book that a natural 20 is a critical hit. Right. Fucking fascinating. It's just an assumption that people make. But if you go by the letter of the rule of the first edition game, mm-hmm. a mercenary doesn't have a natural 20 to crit until they reach level 7. Mm-hmm. And then it's a 19 to 20. Weird, right? Weird. Yeah. It, it, it's one of those things where, like, the whole critical thing didn't even really appear in the original Dungeons & Dragons. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that... To the best of my knowledge, and if you know better, please reach out, because as someone who actually kind of geeks out on the history of role-playing games, I would love to, you know, hear more with citations. But to the best of my knowledge, this is something that came up of the commu- from within the community to make the game more heroic. Critical? Are you talking about D&D? That community? Yeah, well, no, no. The role-playing community in general. But oh, gotcha. D&D, D&D, because it's the grandfather. You know, it. my understanding is that in D&D, it came up as a way to make the game more heroic. And it's also why the critical fumble came out. Was to the, the highs and the lows of heroism. And everything from shooting Smaug in the one spot in his chest mm-hmm. that wasn't scaled to Conan, you know, down on his luck and 
totally on his back and doing the last hurrah sword stab that takes the serpent man in the throat and things uh, like that. Oh, no. I think a fantastic example of that would be uh, just in our previous discussion, you were talking about Conan climbing into a tower to find out that the ape has killed the wizard. Mm -hmm. Well, in that story, the wizard is actually still around. Nabonidus, I think mm -hmm. his name, or Nabonidus right. or something, Nabonidus. And at the end, he's about to do something terrible, and Conan from across the room just chucks a sword at him. Yep. <laughs> like, just boom! Critical hit. So, yeah. Yeah, we Absolutely. need a mechanic for that. <laughs> also, the rules for why throwing swords exist in Dungeons & Dragons in every role-playing game thereafter until 3rd edition. Palladium Fantasy has... Attack bonuses for throwing a sword built into the skill. Yeah. <laughs> it's so sweet. Also, as since we're following this tangent as far as we can, the Palladium Fantasy role-playing game, first edition, the combat section is one, two, three pages long. One of the shortest combat sections in any role-playing yep. game ever, other than like in, if you dip into <laughs> indie narrative role-playing games. So fun story. Let's look over this strike rule. It's two paragraphs. Describes how to hit someone. A strike is the attempt to hit an opponent. After the initiative has been determined, the character with the first strike strikes first. The defender may parry or dodge the strike and then strike back. Interesting wording there. Mm -hmm. I, okay, okay. Uh, to determine a strike, a 20-sided die is rolled by the attacker. Any roll above a 4, in parentheses, 5 to 20, out of parentheses, Hits doing damage to the opponent or his armor unless a successful parry or dodge is made. And that is all that is said about hitting someone. Yep. No critical hit rules. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's the style of the time. Mm. Was... <laughs> Weird. I wonder if they just assumed it. I, again, I, it's, I have heard arguments just go on regarding the critical hit rule. And... Uh, it's not uncommon that the shields get pulled in on mm -hmm. <laughs> on that as well. So, so anyway, back to shields. <laughs> Ending the tangent, bringing us back to what started the tangent, which was I had a, two suggestions for making shields mm -hmm. more interesting. The first one was removing the STC, but the second one, and this is how I do it in the games that I run, is to the shields as is. And give them the D&D &D armor bonus as well. Small shield, give them a plus one. Large shield, give a plus two to your base AR. Mm. That's it. Interesting. Interesting. Yep. So they get the parry bonus from the weapon proficiency, but now you have a reason to also like hold it in front of you. Just... Adding that armor rating just a little bit, just a little bit, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could, I, I could see that. Yeah, I, I hmm. I'm gonna have to think on that one. I'm gonna have to think on that's a thinker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Armor is another one that I have a problem with the SDC limits because they're abysmally small for the for the lower level armors. Mm -hmm. Like, why would anyone ever wear? The lower level armors, they're just going to fall apart in two hits kind of thing. And yeah, realism. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Like, I feel like the damage to the armor should be minimal. You know, like if you hit someone, but the armor protects, the armor should take a dent 
but it shouldn't take the full damage of the attack. Mm. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 that comes down to the whole realism versus game efficiency versus heroic ideal debate and where you find yourself on that three-way diagram varies from person to person. Yeah. You're, you're talking about everything from a medieval jack, which was uh, two layers of quilt with a series of metal plates that were attached with little leather loops at the corners between the two of them. I'm picturing it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and that was sandwiched in between the two layers of uh, quilted fabric, usually wool. And honestly, uh, you know, there you can go look this up like one sword hit and that sucker started falling apart almost immediately and you still probably broke your collarbone, but you were still alive and combat effective. Then you roll into everything from a surcoat, which uh, was actually fundamentally far more durable than many other types of armor to Uh the point where there's a lot of growing historical evidence that a lot of people went into battle with just a surcoat, not, not with metal plates over it. Uh, because they were so heavy and having worn a replica <laughs> medieval surcoat, uh, well, you know, I'm glad I grew up in Minnesota because, oh, my God, that's a perfect garment for when it's negative 10 or <laughs> so. But I would not like to be wandering around in 50 degrees Fahrenheit or above because, oh, my God, that thing is just an oven. Yeah, it's just like shields, that whole where on the where on that three way Venn diagram do you you three way diagram do you find yourself? And I, I like some of what you're laying down with shields because it feels like some potentially fun ways to tweak it for, depending on the feel you're trying to reach for a game. One thing about armor, I I do recognize and I admit, and I, I totally understand that we are taking a whole lot of factors into consideration, and we are summing them up with a single number. Of armor rating, you know, like there's two numbers, sorry, armor rating and SDC, like there's damage resistance that we should think about. There's different weapons are better against different types of armor that we should think about. There's, there's heat, there's, there's how the weight comes in. There's all of those things that you were just describing. And in order to make it fun in a gaming table, we sum it up to armor rating and SDC. And that makes sense. I get it. Mm -hmm. I get why we do that. Mm -hmm. But when you think about it, the, the mentality, the understanding, the base, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the base foundation of damage mm-hmm. in a role-playing game. Uh, the normal, the, the baseline is an object damaging flesh. Yep. So all damage values are ultimately based upon how much damage or how much would this hurt a living creature if applied to it with violence? Yep. So then you have to think about, okay, now we're going to apply that across the board to all objects in the entire game. You're like, okay, well, you know, uh, this wall has uh, 300 SCC and I've got a sledgehammer and a knife. Well, the knife should do considerably less damage to the wall than it does to a person. Mm-hmm. However, you know, uh, that SD, that, that, that hammer is clearly designed for the sole purposes of breaking down walls. So mm-hmm. it's probably going to do more or something. Yeah. And we don't go into that because right. there was a time in my life where I thought that was fun. I that don't time anymore. is long past. Yeah. <laughs> May I propose a alternative house rule that I have used? in Palladium Fantasy when I've run it, 
that also would potentially increase the reason to carry a shield. Okay. And I know I will be branded as a heretic by certain portions of the Palladium community for saying so. If you're playing Palladium Fantasy or in any other Palladium game where you're going up against quote-unquote ancient weapons, your parry bonus applies to thrown and missile weapons that you're aware of. Um, really? Think about it. You're carrying a shield. The point of a shield is to be carrying cover with you. Oh, are you suggesting this as a house rule? As a house rule. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so like, you... If you can be aware of the uh, an archer potentially taking a shot at you, you have a giant board sl- or a slab of steel yeah. strapped to your arm. You should get a parry chance against that missile weapon. Oh, I like that. I never even thought about that, and I love it. And you know what? Actually, I'm pretty damn sure that's how it's done in the Rule Cyclopedia version of D&D if you mm-hmm. use the weapon mastery is. Yeah, but I, 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 why even restrict it to a weapon mastery or some high level thing? It's with the exception of shields like bucklers, which are literally designed for knife fighting, fencing, and basically to make sure you could parry something with your arm and not get your arm cut up or broken. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything larger than that, if someone throws an axe, a javelin, shoots an arrow at you, it's a very quick twitch reaction yeah. to get you behind cover suddenly. Yeah, I'm I'm using that. I I am totally using that in our game. I like it. Yeah, the ability it, to parry ranged attacks. Yeah, it, it's until you get up to things like wall shields, uh, Roman legionnaire shields, riot shields, things like that, where you're not going to be moving them around fast, but at the same time you're basically totally obscured by them in the first place. It's it's it makes sense that the shield should be useful to just. Because you're not trying to deflect something. You're not trying to take your small handheld objects that are designed to be moved around very fast and is rather thin mm-hmm. to deflect an arrow. That, that It doesn't really make yeah. sense. It takes such a high level of skill and honestly luck to do. But moving the big board that's strapped yeah. to your arm. Yeah, yeah. The cover, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, well, if we're going to get back to shields and SDC, an arrow versus a shield should do minimal damage. Mm-hmm. In fact, that arrow can embed in the shield, mm-hmm. and I've seen this, well, I've, I've read about it in stories, and I've seen it in fantasy shows, mm-hmm. so whether or not this is, you know, legit, but you've got a shield that's covered with arrows, mm-hmm. take your sword, funk, yep. swipe down the top, no more arrows. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's okay. That's the entire region for a reason for a Roman pilum, uh, a big, heavy, wooden, shafted weapon that had a hardened steel head attached to a soft steel shaft that tied it to the handle. So when it hit, it bent, and you couldn't just hack it off because you still had that big length of soft metal hanging off your shield. (laughs) Mm. Fascinating. I never even thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Yeah, but then you could... Yeah. See, now I'm like, okay, but maybe you could use the things coming out of the shield to increase the shield's bashing damage. (laughs) Potentially. (laughs) You you could house rule that. Yeah. But now, now, I mean, there are exceptions to that. Like, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily make that apply to, like, magic. Or things that require the the few magical effects that require you to roll to hit. There are very, very few of them in Palladium Fantasy. Very few. 
and and I would just say that like no, your shield isn't going to apply there. It, it unbalances the magic using classes too much. Although that you know we we could get into an whole argument on how some of the spells in Palladium are a little juiced. <laughs> okay, that's a whole other episode, and I have opinions on that. Short version is some of them yes, but most of them no. No, many people are on the many people are in agreement that power wise combat power wise mages and palladium tend to get the be on be on the low tiers yep they're they benefit their specialty is versatility and utility exactly yeah yeah no and and so i i i think out of the box shields in palladium are definitely i'd go the same way why would you take one you know yeah i think with a very couple very small tweaks one of the th- one or two of the three options we put out here could potentially make shields much more versatile and echo the his the the heroic fiction that we're all kind of striving to emulate in our oh, games. Yeah. I mean, we got dragons. <laughs> we got it's dragons. heroic fiction. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The I I really like that that rule suggestion, Jacob. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Parrying ranged attacks. It seem it's so simple. Yeah. Yeah, it's like an on-off switch. Yep. Bam. Done. Done. I love it. Okay. Well, that's shields and palladium and a bunch of tangential discussions on armor and magic. <laughs> Join us on Discord, folks. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, how, how have you made shields not suck in your games? How have you avoided the paired weapons as god trap? What are your thoughts on the matter? See you next time. Starships, magic, mystic martial arts, romance. All of these can be found in A Cloak of Blades by Isaac Sher. You might have heard my name before. I've done a lot of voiceover work for Breakfast Puppies. And I've recently released my first novel. It's available on Amazon as an ebook and paperback. And you can get it for free if you have a Kindle Unlimited subscription. I do hope you'll support my work as you're supporting Breakfast Puppies. And it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Have a good one. You've been listening to The Glitter Boys, a Palladium Books fan podcast. Glitter Boys, Rifts, the Megaverse, and all other such topics are the property of Kevin Sambita and Palladium Books. Please buy all their stuff and help keep them in print and making more games. You can order directly at palladiumbooks.com, and their entire catalog is available digitally at DriveThruRPG as well. Our opening music is 8-Bit Bass and Lead by Furby Guy from freesound.org. This closing music is Caravana by Philip Gross, available at freemusicarchive.org. All sound effects used are self-made or acquired via Creative Commons Zero License. If you like what you have heard, find us on Twitter and Facebook as The Glitter Boys. That's B-O-I-S. And check us out online at breakfastpuppies.com slash glitterboys. And also join us on the Breakfast Puppies Network Discord at breakfastpuppies.com slash discord. And if you want to help us out, please spread the word and help us build a community. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time.